Handle on the News. Handle on the News! Let's not stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handle Show. Bill is out. He blew out his voice. Thankfully, unlike his long ordeal with that terrible bone infection that he had, he is not in any pain or discomfort. He feels great. He just can't talk. That's a blessing, right? (laughs) For Marjorie, it is. That's for sure. So uh, Jennifer Jones Lee was so distraught over Handel's laryngitis that she had to take a vacation. Is that what it was? Yes. (laughs) Here's who we have today. In for Jennifer Jones Lee, Oregon's finest, Amy King. Thank you. Thank you very much. Manning the sports desk and uh, being my buddy throughout the show, Saturdays and Sundays, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KFI. Morris O'Kelly from the South Bay. Can you dig it? <laughs> uh, and me, Alex is here. John Ramirez is here. Uh, obligatory remark about you being Catholic, and it's time for Handle on the News. Lead story. The Cosby Bill Cosby found guilty on all three charges in the sexual assault of Andrea Constant, and um, I, I, it's one of those things, there's so much that could be said, but also what more needs to be said right now. I would say the Me Too movement fundamentally shifted how people looked at this case, both jurors and also general public. The first trial was the mistrial, and I think because we're in a different space and place now in America as opposed to maybe five, six years ago, I think it added to the likelihood, eventual likelihood, of him being found guilty. He's not perceived in the same way. We don't look at sexual assault, or at least the allegations of sexual assault, in the same way. Also, would it be true the victims are not looked at the same way? Which is to say maybe less suspicion of a victim's uh, truthfulness or motives. Because, of course, this case, as so many of these kinds of cases, hinged on attacking Andrea Constant's credibility, right? And so you think people are less resistant to go, oh, yeah, she's probably lying. Yeah, and we're now accustomed to hearing uh, witnesses or accusers with allegations more than 20, 30 years old. Amy? North and South Korea. I don't want it to just be the the two dudes talking about the issue of sexual assault. With the Cosby thing, I will just say that it's so sad. I'm I'm just sad about the whole thing. I just want it to be done and over with. Sad in what way? He was America's dad. He was an icon. He was destroyed. He did it himself. So yeah, and so. Hopefully this will bring some of the people who were affected some closure and, you know, we can start to move on and just say, you know what, we're going to act better now. Yeah, I the th- past I, is the past. Here's Let's the thing. Be better now. Is it is the sadness that an icon is now destroyed or could it be that the sadness is that we were fooled for so long? Because yeah. if we had known how he really was, would he ever have become this icon? In the first place. So which is it like the loss of a legitimate icon who's fallen from grace or a person who never should have been in that position in the first place? Mm, I, you don't have to. We because have to Well, but because right of my the way that I felt and knew knew him growing up, didn't know him. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
it's the loss of the icon. Yeah. It's not that he shouldn't have been there because he's one of the most talented, talented, incredible entertainers we've ever known. I don't know. His new material isn't that great. No, but the old <laughs> stuff, the Cosby show was, in my yes. opinion, genius. Ap- His yep. stand-up was genius. I mean, when he called the prosecutor an a-hole, that was pretty funny. Well, that was good there's material. there's that. Yeah, there's that. I don't um, know. I thought he didn't work blue. Actually, he didn't, but he's one of the most profane people you would ever meet. He always would be cursing. But not on, not on stage. Not on stage, but if you're just around him. And he was brilliant on stage. All right, so we're going to get back into this at 7 because uh, Mark Remillard was there, and he'll describe what happened, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the sentencing situation for him, and the pound cake speech is coming back because if you remember that speech, and if you don't, we we have a clip from it, and we'll explain what the pound cake speech is that Bill Cosby gave. That was the moment... That was the beginning of the end for him in this sexual assault stuff. So we'll have all of that coming up at 7. In the meantime, uh, there's other things going on in the world. There are. There was a handshake. There was a hug. There was lots of smile. And now there may be peace in the Koreas. It was not as bromance as uh, Emmanuel Macron and John Lewis. But it was pretty, it was, I hate to say it, part of me, I smiled when I saw Kim Jong-un, the guy who you always think of as the fire-breathing crazy guy, coming across into the DMZ, shaking President Moon's hand of South Korea, and talking to him, and he had a smile on his face. And part of me went like, what if he is some semblance of a real person under all that bluster? You think he's possibly just rebranding himself? That has been my theory uh, for a while, that he said, look, he still wants power. He still wants to be admired and revered. But something maybe woke up with him and said, you can do it through fear and intimidation and starving your people and all of that. But you can also do it by being the guy who brings peace and prosperity to your country. But can he do that and remain the dictator leader? No, no. he has to be a different kind of revered leader. Not revered, which is really fear. He, the, the reverence now is really fear. Maybe he wants to be actually revered. And it would be interesting to see how his people would react because, like you said, he's, I mean, he keeps them down. He, he starves them. He does nasty things to them and tortures people and uh, kills relatives. Yep. So how do you turn that around? Well, you try, but here's the other thing. You just brought up something I never thought of this before. What if he's sincere about turning it around, but the other people in the power structure in the government aren't, and he gets assassinated over this stuff? You're talking about a coup? I am talking about a coup. coup? All right, uh, let's take a pause, and when we come back, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Need dental implants? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Before we get back into Handel on the News, it's a chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. 
text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. They call the winner and you have to answer or you can't win. Karen in La Habra answered and won $1,000. Your next chance to win next hour. Also, don't text, don't um, don't send a Facebook message to the KFI Facebook page with the word money in it, because that's not what you're supposed to do. Although some people think that that's going to get them some money. You sure they about won't. that? I'm 100% sure about that. Okay. Very little in life that I'm 100% sure about. That's one of the things. Have you ever been on, like, Ancestry.com? No. What about... My life twenty three. No, I have not sent my spit into any of these places. Well, if you happen to be a murderer, you better not do it because DNA information on these genealogy websites led to a break in the Golden State Killer case. I got your DNA and me right between the eyes. Yeah, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about this at 7.30 because it's raising a lot of privacy concerns for the millions of people who have sent their spit to try to find lost relatives or figure out their heritage or whatever. Um, And it's interesting because the DA said, well, we did it through one of these online DNA databases. They won't say which one, and they won't say exactly how they did it. Right. And all of the genealogy websites are saying it wasn't us well it had to be one of them does it you think they're lying is it you think think the police or the da is is lying about how they identified the golden state killer suspect there's more than one way to get someone's dna they say that they got the dna with a sample d'angelo discarded oh yes but didn't give any more details yes there's two things here (laughs) there's how did they get his DNA. Right. They got his DNA the old-fashioned way. They had an undercover cop follow him around until he discarded. Got, yes, something. just like they did with the Grim Sleeper, who left a piece of pizza behind, and an undercover cop would really? been following him around. The issue here is, how did they even decide he was a suspect? They took DNA that was found at a lot of these crime scenes, Golden State Killer crime scenes. They ran those through the unnamed online genealogy site. Which they all deny. And they found a familial match. Yeah, it was like a distant relative. And they then, went, oh, hey, uh huh, that's pretty close. And then they start to work from there. You don't identify the suspect, but you identify a relative of the suspect, and now you can work that lead. Which is incredibly interesting, because if you think about it, so they had nobody in the hopper. They had nobody in the pipeline. Right. They did the DNA match and went, okay. D'Angelo's our guy. Yeah, we're going to talk more about how it, the difference between the law enforcement DNA databases and these commercial anybody can stick your DNA online, which is probably not a good idea. Mike Pompeo is the Secretary of State. Yes, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito administered the oath at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I sound like a newsreel from the 1940s. And he's almost immediately going to leave the country, right? He's going to go to Brussels and Saudi Arabia and Israel and Jordan. Sounds like fun. I'm sure. I mean, what what, what do you really do as Secretary of State in a Trump administration 
when it seems like this president wants to be out in front and center with everything which happens internationally? Uh, deliver threats? No, I don't know. I mean, I assume he's supposed to be the face of diplomacy. And for maybe the he already is. He did make a little trip to North Korea. That yeah. is true. Prior to becoming yeah, Secretary of State. Right. So maybe he's such a diplomat. He was being a diplomat even when it wasn't his job to be a diplomat. So now that it's his job and he's getting paid to be a diplomat, he'll be even better as a diplomat. I don't know. Let's see what happens. What if I, I know this is going to upset some people and delight certain other people. What if somehow at the end of the Trump presidency... He can point to specific improvements in certain international relations issues. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Speaking of uh, President Trump. Uh, He's distancing himself a bit from uh, his buddy Mike Cohen, his personal lawyer. might as well be strangers in another town. Okay, so he had his interview with Fox uh, News. He called in yesterday, and he said, Oh, Cohen only handled a tiny, tiny little fraction of my legal work, and also said the investigation that federal uh, agents, or when they raided uh, Michael Cohen's office and all that stuff, he said that investigation doesn't have to do with me, and said they're looking at something having to do with his business. I have nothing to do with his business. Right. Which which seems to be correct because remember Trump was told he's not a target or he said he was told he's not a target of the probe. When we come back, why Stormy Daniels may be more concerned with what they got from Michael Cohen's office. Mm-hmm. We'll continue handle on the news. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out. He blew out his voice. We're continuing Handel on the news. Amy King in for Jennifer Jones-Lee, who's on vacation. Mo Kelly, Saturdays and Sundays, 6 to 8 p.m. And me. You know, Stormy Daniels thinks that Michael Cohen may possibly have her MySpace password. (laughs) Uh, You know, from what I see, he did absolutely nothing wrong. Well, Stormy Daniels is of the opinion that um, some confidential information which is only shared to her lawyer may be in hands of Michael Cohen and his lawyers. Oh, because the not her current lawyer, right, uh, Michael Avenatti, but the, the lawyer who negotiated the payment, apparently, she thinks or knows. I guess we don't know. We, well, we will know soon enough when all of this is parsed and we get to see what the federal raid uncovers. And so she wants to be involved in this she federal see- case where they're gonna where the special master's gonna look at everything they seized because she thinks some of her personal stuff was given by her old, maybe not so great lawyer to Michael Cohen. Right. Can you imagine if uh, Avenatti has this way, we'll have uh Stormy Daniels sitting at the table thumbing through all this quote unquote privileged information and deciding what other federal investigators will get to see. Can I point out one other thing from this article from the New York Post? This you know, is all ridiculous? Well, yes, but okay. but this one detail, because I laughed so loud. You know, a lot of times in articles, let's say it's in Variety, and it's about an article about Tom Cruise something, and they'll go, the Mission Impossible star noted that uh, his next movie is going to be about something. 
right? <laughs> I just so saw this. You too. saw it. So they're talking about Stormy Daniels, and she wants a seat at the table in the Michael Cohen stuff. And it, and they go, the Goodwill Humping Star. <laughs> they're giving one of her credits. And doesn't she have a new one, Make America Horny yes, Again? Yes, she's got a new. She claims she never really left the business anyway. Uh, hey, Donald Trump and Theresa May may have their own awkward moments together. President Trump's going to visit the UK, meet with Theresa May over the summer. And uh, you may remember that they don't necessarily love each other that much. No, but the tweet this morning, delighted that President Real Donald Trump will visit UK July 13 and hold bilateral talks with Prime Minister May. Yeah, but that was tweeted by the British ambassador to the US. If if Theresa May had tweeted, I'm so excited to hug Donald Trump. Well, they did say they were delighted. I mean, come on. I know. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be a little chilly at the White House today, too, because uh, Angela Merkel's in town. Yeah, they're getting a working lunch. Donald Trump and Angela Merkel, they're having a working lunch, and that's it. It's like, finish your sandwich and get out, lady. That's what's going to happen. There is some good news, though, from across the pond. Yes. How does this sound? The baby will be known as His Royal Highness Prince Louis of Cambridge. Yeah, they finally announced the name of the new royal baby. Yep, it's Louis Arthur Charles. Charles for Prince Charles. Arthur is family tradition, and I don't know why they picked Louis. Maybe because of the Jungle Book. Uh, no, I, th- I think Prince Philip's grandfather was Prince Louis Alexander. And also, Prince William has Louis in his name, and I think Prince George has Louis in his name. Ah, uh, okay. It means renowned warrior in French. Did you know that? That's fascinating. Mm. Not really. Wow, you're just a wealth of information. Yeah, wow. Oh, thank you. I was going to say, I thought you were going to dig her for being a real stick in the mud today. No, no, I no, just no, am I not that, not. I'm not that excited you're not about the, the royal, royal mania. thing. I, I think, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's nice that they have a new child, but I, I just... I, no, I'm not into royal mania. I have a theory about why you're why you're not into it and I why know, you don't get I'm excited about it. And... No, I think I think it might be, be, and it's a very subtle psychological principle. It might be because it's not actually important. Oh no, I think it's more. <laughs> it's not important anymore because we're talking about what the fifth in the line of succession. I mean, it doesn't doesn't really mean anything. It's that not like dude's a, never sitting no, on the throne. No, not at all. I think it's different when Prince Charles got married because. Back then, we thought there were implications for the actual throne. You know, little did we know that Queen Elizabeth II was never going to give it up. Though. Okay, and when Charles got married, I will tell you that my best friend and I stayed up all night. We had a sleepover, and we watched the wedding of Princess Diana and and Prince Charles because it was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, we were little years kids. Old then. Yeah, and I, she <laughs> was the first woman to not be royal, even mm-hmm. though she was Lady Diana. But she wasn't officially royal, so it was like this cool love story romance. And now it's just like ah, none of them are. Did royals. you dream of someday marrying your own prince? No. Oh. Wow, both of the women here went ooh at the idea. That's nice to see how far uh, <laughs> feminism has come. There let's, you go. Let's go to a bar. Three Orange County men <laughs> say they were victim of gay bashing at a Newport Beach bar. About time that we raised up. Three men who 
were tossed out of a Newport Beach restaurant claimed that they were victims of gay bashing. Here's the skinny on the story. They, they went into the restaurant. They said the bartender was immediately hostile to them, asked to see identification, and proclaimed one of the IDs was fake. The men say the ID was real, and in a lawsuit, they allege the request was actually a ruse to not serve gay men. I don't know how you prove this, though. Well, there's video of them being thrown out. So I suppose the police who are investigating this can say, well, why'd you throw them out then? Well, and they have to have some other reason. In the video, one, the bartender can be heard pointing to someone and saying, get them out of here. I don't want to hear it. You need to go. But maybe that's about the the fake ID or what he thought was a fake ID. Right. That's that would be I mean, my that's concern. a legitimate claim, right? Is somebody going to uh, ask the the uncomfortable question? Which one is that? Well, they're saying we were kicked out because we're gay. Right, and they can allege were, that, but... Were they... I mean, I know a lot of gay, gay guys, and you would never know. So how come just because three guys go in a bar, immediately the people at the bar go, oh, they're gay, we don't want them here. Are you talking about... Through their external well, behavior. Well, yes, that's what I'm saying. Why did the, why did the people at the bar decide that they were gay in the first place? Because their entire allegation rests on the people at the bar knowing that they're gay. PDA, possibly. I don't know. That's why I want more information. All right. Uh, when we come back, another news guy: sexual misconduct allegations. KFI AM six forty. I'll give you. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out today. He ruined his voice yelling at everybody. Before we get into uh, Handle on the News and finish it up, it is free movie Friday. Adam Tickets is back on KFI and giving you a chance to win free movie tickets. You text them now. Text the word reporter to Atom1 for your chance to win. It's the Atom Tickets app where you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite your friends, and they don't have it here on the copy. You can invite your friends but not have to pay for them. Perfect. With the Atom app, you can pre-order your concessions all from your phone. Skip the lines. Text reporter to Atom1 for your chance to win those free tickets. Standard data and text messages rates. Text message rates may apply for those of you who still have your cell plan from 20 years ago. All right, back to Handle on the News with Amy King in for the vacationing Jennifer Jones-Lee, Mo Kelly in because I love him, and me. Hmm? I said C. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brokaw now, the subject of sexual misconduct allegations. It's a woman who worked as a war correspondent for NBC. Her name is Linda Vester, and she is now telling the media that... uh, One time they were in the NBC bureau in Denver and Tom Brokaw allegedly came up behind her and started tickling her up and down her waist. And then in New York, he came to her hotel room and tried to kiss her and suggested that they, uh, you know, get it on and so forth. And he says, I know this woman. I did meet with this woman to talk about her career. And uh, those meetings were brief, cordial and appropriate. Somebody, either somebody's lying or somebody doesn't understand what brief and cordial means. 
Someone is always lying. It's just a matter of which party here. I guess you're right. Uh, hey, guess what? Somebody's in trouble for bringing some illegals across the border. Follow me. I am on your side. And it happens to be an LAPD officer from Rancho Cucamonga. So basically what uh, he's been charged with is going up to the Border Patrol checkpoint on the 8 Freeway near Pine Valley. And he had a couple guys in his car with him. And uh, in the criminal complaint, it says he was acting really weird and seemed nervous. And then when they asked for identification, the guys in the car admitted that they did not have it and that they were Mexican citizens. And he had lied. He had said that they had all been, I forget where, but somewhere. They were gambling at the Acorn Casino. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, we've been in the country the whole time. We're just coming from this casino, but uh, not true. Well, and yeah, and one of the guys had told agents that he and the other one had come into the U.S. like six days earlier, got a ride to L.A. from somebody, and then he said he knew the officer and has known him for about five years and had done some work on his property. Oh, he's bringing up the crew. To do a little remodeling. And use his badge to get over. Thought he, well, tried yeah, to. Tried to, tried to, but it didn't to. work. He's been with the department for 11 years. You know the the whole homelessness problem in Santa Ana? Oh, yes. Oh, well, it seems like we're going to have a California civil war. Santa Ana is going to sue the other 33 Orange County cities over homelessness burden. Let me go home. So. The feds are suing the state, and the state is suing the feds, and then you have counties and cities are suing the state, and now cities are suing each other. Correct. There was a recent study by workers from the Orange County Healthcare Agency, which showed that the Civic Center population, where they had all the homelessness encampments, encampments included homeless who had migrated from 17 other cities. In other words, homeless people are moving from their homeless tenements in other cities coming to Santa Ana. And Santa Ana says, no, this is not going to work. Right. And, of course, Judge David Carter said the entire county and all the cities in the county have to share the burden of doing something with the homeless people. And so they keep trying. Here's the problem. They keep coming up with ideas, and then those ideas keep getting voted down. So nobody wants to actually. Look, surprise. Nobody wants a bunch of homeless people. (laughs) Right. In their area. And uh, one last thing very quickly. The Dodgers, in conjunction with Metro, are going to build an aerial tramway from Union Station to Dodger Stadium. A mile and a quarter long. Because, you know, going to the stadium is impossible anymore. If you're going in a car. How many people can get into a gondola? Uh, I think... They've you got 60,000 people in the stadium. Well, but 60,000 people are not going to use this particular No, about 20 help. will. Hey, I have no problem with it, and I'll tell you why. And okay. this, uh, this is the thing I needed to know, if I would support it or not. Who's paying for it, and who's going to oversee building it? The Dodgers are paying for it. Okay, then they can do whatever they want. And as long as they have some oversight over the building of it, I'm cool. Now, if Metro takes the Dodgers' money... And says, hey, we got your money. We'll take care of building a tram. Uh Uh-uh. Because that thing's going to plummet on its first run if Metro is the only person involved. Just want to say this. They're not a person. They want to build a tram from Union Station to Dodger Stadium, but we can't get a a direct link from Union Station to the airport? No, of course not. Priorities. All right. When we come back, (laughs) Bill Cosby, thrice guilty. And we will get into what happened in court, which was quite astonishing. We'll have uh, Mark Remillard will join us with that. And then I'll talk about the sentencing situations 
for Mr. Cosby. It's KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. Uh, It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out today. He thrashed his voice. And we're talking about what everybody's talking about. Bill Cosby guilty on three counts. And joining us now, Mark Remillard was there at the courthouse. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Well, <laughs> what happened? What happened? <laughs> well, guilty on all counts, as you mentioned there. And uh, not much reaction from Cosby at the time that the verdict was read. Uh, his accusers, though, uh, pretty shocked by the verdict. Uh, some uh, holding back tears. Some left the room and began crying outside of the courtroom. Uh, Cosby, though, bursting out in court after uh, the uh, judge and while the excuse me while the prosecution and the judge were hashing out whether or not he should be continued to stay out on bail. The, the, the prosecution saying that he's a flight risk, uh, and when he mentioned that he had a plane, Cosby yelled at him, he doesn't have a plane, you bleep. He cursed at the prosecutor. Uh, almost an equally shocking moment to the actual verdict itself. Uh, now, was he admonished or anything, or did the judge just kind of let it fly because, hey, he just was guilty on three counts, let's let him yell once? He kind of let it fly. He uh, he did not admonish him. He uh, kind of just said, okay, come on, everybody relax, and then uh, but he was too busy kind of hammering the prosecutor for even a- requesting that they re- revoke his bail. The prosecutor, or excuse me, the judge saying, uh, you know, in two and a half years that he's been out on bail, you've never made a claim that Cosby's a flight risk. You've never said that the bail is insufficient, and I see no reason now why that should change, especially when Cosby, after two and a half years, has done everything that he's been asked to do. He's shown up to every hearing. Uh, he's been very calm and collected through all of these hearings. It was really until that moment that he lashed out that we saw the most fiery emotion out of Cosby throughout this whole process. I know that the burden does shift a little bit once you're convicted in, in terms of staying out on bail, but isn't it that they can make the case he has he has the financial resources to run, but he can't really run because he's Bill Cosby. Yeah, that's true, and that's the that's the interesting thing is they the 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 prosecution made that claim. They were saying this is a man of uh, incredible wealth and resources, uh, and and the judge was like, where do you think he's gonna go? And he's like, anywhere. Uh, but remember, this is Bill Cosby. His face is known everywhere. He's 80 years old and almost completely blind. So uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world for him to just skip town. And the judge said, I'm gonna put a GPS monitoring on him, and I have his passport where do you think he's going to go uh and i think did the judge say he can remain on bail but he has to stay in uh montgomery county where his home is yeah he's got to stay in montgomery county i believe that he has because he has several homes elsewhere that uh if he chooses to maybe go one to one of those homes he may be subject to gps monitoring or may need approval to do that but uh he's been ordered not to leave the commonwealth certainly not to leave the country uh and so he'll remain that way uh for the next 60 to 90 days but that's the thing is that he's got his sentencing in just a few months so uh it's unlikely he's going anywhere for the time being and so what's next is that really the next thing that's going to happen he'll be back in court and be sentenced yeah, so actually, in between now and then, he's going to go through a bunch of assessments, uh, including a sexual violent predator assessment, uh, which will all be used by the judge to determine his sentence, uh, including his age and health. Uh, the judge will also take that into consideration. But in 60 to 90 days, the judge will uh, deliver his sentence. Uh, and it, you know, in theory, he's facing up to 30 years, 10 years on each count here. It doesn't seem likely that that's going to be his sentence. If the judge follows the state sentencing guidelines, 
he's 80 years old, he'd be in prison until he's at least 85. Well, the yes, because uh, I'm looking at the grid that they use to sentence people, and this these offenses he's been convicted of uh, are at a level 10 in severity. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have any criminal anything, right? I, I, no. I'm not no, aware not, of him having not that I'm anything aware at all. So his the guideline range for these crimes in Pennsylvania for him is 30 to 48 months. Right. But it's not and, binding. The judge and, does not have to follow that. No, he does not. He has discretion. Uh, and, and if he gets a sentence like that, what would you say, 38 to 48 months? 30, 30 to 48, yeah. 30 to 48 months, that means that he would end up in a state prison. If he gets a sentence under 24 months, he'd likely stay in uh, Montgomery County jail system. But uh, if it's over 24 months, two years or above, he'd end up in the state prison system. He'd go to one of 23 prisons in the state. Most likely, uh, there's this one one facility in which they really house geriatric and medical uh, needs patients patients or uh, inmates so he would likely go there i notice that nobody seems to be talking about the possibility that the judge would actually give him a suspended sentence and he's on probation and he doesn't go to jail is that because nobody can imagine that happening it is hard to imagine that happening considering the severity of the crimes and uh, and just how many accusers he's he has and it'll be interesting to see whether or not and how many accusers the judge may let uh, confront him during the sentencing. Uh, remember, not too long ago, we saw uh, hundreds of accusers stand up and, and confront Larry Nasser, for example, uh, during his sentencing. And so will the judge allow more accusers who really haven't had their day in court, per se, to confront him and may that weigh on what he chooses? The defense would seem likely to push for something like that, no jail time, suspend his sentence, that kind of thing. Uh, but the prosecution, no doubt, uh, wants to see him behind bars and made a case yesterday to get him behind bars at that point but uh, certainly during sentencing they will are people just on the street still divided over this because i did see on twitter after he was convicted a lot of people going to twitter and saying oh this is a frame job and this is wrong and he's not guilty is is there evenly divided sentiment or do most people feel one way or the other I think that there's uh, div- um, an equal divide in a, in a way. Outside the courthouse, there were crowds of people. Uh, he's had supporters out there every morning when he arrives for trial. Um, but as he left yesterday in a black SUV, uh, someone yelled out rapist. And so you have a lot of people who feel very strongly. And, and the interesting thing here is that there is a conclusion to this. We have a verdict he is guilty versus a hung jury where if you thought he was guilty, you can continue to think he's guilty. If he was, if he was, if you felt that he was innocent, then you could continue to feel that he's innocent. But at this point, he's a convicted felon and soon to be a registered sex offender. And so his career, his legacy uh, has a, a serious, serious blemish on it. Yes. Hey, Mark, really good to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. All right. There goes Mark Remillard. I like that guy. Uh, when we come back, because Mark just talked about the, the big thing here is this image tarnished forever. And when we come back, I want to talk about the moment that it all went south for Bill Cosby. And it was a speech that he gave that a lot of people called the pound cake speech. We'll get into that when we come back. And when we come back, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Missing teeth? They're not in your coat pocket. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMART. 
KFI AM 640. So Bill Handel's show. Uh, Bill's out today. He blew out his voice. I'm going to ask Neil Saavedra when we do Foodie Fridays at 930 if it's really a good idea to eat cake by the ocean. Unless it's a, unless you want a salted caramel cake, maybe. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, it's your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. The winner is notified with a phone call. If you don't answer it, they move on to somebody else. James in Fallbrook, he answered the call and won $1,000. Your next chance to win coming up next hour. All right. um, Bill Cosby. How did this happen? There's some conventional wisdom that says the thing that led to Bill Cosby's downfall. Well, the thing that led to his downfall is apparently uh, attacking women and drugging women and molesting women. But in terms of him being held accountable for it, uh, a lot of people point to the comedian Hannibal Burris, who in uh, 2014 did a stand-up bit where he called out Bill Cosby, uh, basically saying, I can't uh, give you a clip of it because of the profanity, but basically saying, hey, you're trying to be you know, moralizing to the black community and you're a rapist. And it did bring attention back to these allegations, which many of them had been made a decade before. Over 10 women had come forward in the early 2000s claiming that Bill Cosby had done these things. And at the time, it was a, it was kind of a big deal for a while. I know there was a huge article in the Washington Post about how they were debating in the black community. On the one hand, he's this icon. On the other hand, he's doing the scolding thing in some of his speeches. But also, he's been accused of this terrible behavior. And then it, it seemed to fade away. But I don't know that it was really... It, it may have been Hannibal Burris's stand-up bit that got people talking about the allegations again. But the thing that brought down Bill Cosby was his now infamous pound cake speech. This was back in 2004. He was speaking at uh, an NCAA, an, an NAACP event honoring the 50th anniversary of uh, Brown v. Board of Education. And he gave a speech that was... It was fairly well received at the time, but it would come back to haunt him later. Now, here is a clip of that speech, and you'll hear why it was called the pound cake speech. I'm talking about these people who cry when their son is standing there in an orange suit. Where were you when he was two? Where were you when he was 12? Where were you when he was 18? And how come you don't know he had a pistol? These are not these these are not political criminals. These are people going around stealing Coca-Cola. People getting shot in the back of the head over a piece of pound cake. And then we all run out and we're outraged. Oh, the cop shouldn't have shot him. The hell was he doing with the pound cake in his hand? Versus the Board of Education is no longer the white person's problem. We've got to take the neighborhood back. 
I mean, they seem to be laughing and applauding, and nobody in that room se- – well, I don't know if nobody, but uh, the crowd seemed to be behind his message. And this was around the same time that these allegations started coming out. Now, you fast forward, 2014, Hannibal Burris does his comedy bit, calls Bill Cosby a rapist. The discussions happen again. And because the discussions happen again, women come forward. Some of them, the same women who 10 years ago, they came back out and said, hey, we told you about this 10 years ago. And other women who previously didn't feel like they wanted to say anything. And of course, the AP goes to court and asks a judge to unseal Bill Cosby's deposition in the civil lawsuit that Andrea Constant brought against him. And it's that transcript where he talks about getting prescriptions for quaaludes, but not taking the quaaludes himself, giving the quaaludes to women that he wanted to have sex with. And that information really becomes one of the most damning pieces of evidence against him. Because you have women saying, I went to meet him, and then I woke up, and I felt drugged. And a lot of people would say, well, how do we know what happened or if it happened? But you have Bill Cosby under oath in a deposition saying that he would give quaaludes to women that he wanted to have sex with. Why did the judge unseal that transcript? You want to know why? Because of the pound cake speech. That's why. Because if Bill Cosby had simply remained an entertainer and done the Cosby show and done his stand-up about family life, there's a very, very good chance the judge never would have allowed those transcripts to come out. But the judge who issued the order unsealing them said... And his name was uh, is still Eduardo uh, Robreno. He said, Bill Cosby has chosen to present himself as a moral paragon. Now we have this contrast between Bill Cosby, the public moralist, telling everybody how to live their lives, and the subject of very serious allegations about improper, maybe even criminal conduct. And that's what makes these transcripts of great public interest. If Bill Cosby just wanted to be a funny guy, he might not be convicted of crimes today. All right, when we come back, the Golden State Killer caught through DNA, apparently not from the criminal database, but from these online databases that everybody likes to send their spit to to find out what their heritage is, When we come back, I'm going to talk about the difference between the two databases and also how private is your DNA if you send your spit into one of these sites. It's KFI AM640. KFI AM640. This is the Bill Handel Show. Uh, Bill's out today. He completely thrashed his voice. I think the uh, the station toaster burned one of his bagels, and he started screaming at everybody, and now he's got laryngitis. 
Uh, hopefully he will be back on Monday. Let's talk about how they caught the Golden State Killer. We know that it was a DNA match. And it's raising a big question about how private is your DNA information when you choose to use one of these services like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. You send in, it's usually a swab of your saliva, and they sequence your DNA, and then they have this big database of other people's DNA, and they can match you to a distant relatives, near relatives that maybe you didn't know you had. They can tell you what your heritage is. And the Sacramento DA's office said, that's how we found the guy. But they're not really giving us any details on how they did it. They're just saying, yes, we used one of these online databases, and that's how we ended up finding the guy. But we don't know if they – there's a couple of ways they could have done it. One way would be the obvious way that you would think of. They just go to the company and go, hey, look, we're trying to catch this killer. Can you let us search your database? And the company said, sure. Now, at least three of the big companies are already denying that they had anything to do with it. Ancestry.com, 23andMe, and MyHeritage all say we were not involved in this situation. I don't know how many more, how many of these companies do you really need? I don't know how many more there are. So one way could be just a company agreed to let them do it. Another way could be that they got a warrant to do it. There's another way I thought of, and I don't know that this is what they did, but they had DNA of this guy from the crime scenes. I suppose there could have been a way, although this happened very quickly, right? This was, I think, six days, a period of about six days. So maybe there's not enough time for them to have done it this way, which is you have some DNA. You want to see if it matches anybody in these databases. So what do you do? You send it in, you basically pretend it's your DNA, and you send it in and you get an account which allows you to then just go online as a customer and do it. I don't think so. Just because of the amount of time, and also I don't know that at this point law enforcement would risk uh, having an evidentiary problem by committing fraud, basically, in order to make an account. So probably some company helped them. And uh, whether we will ever find out which one, I don't know. Although at some point the evidence has got to come out, a chain of custody and all of that. Because you see, these companies are creating databases of people's DNA that aren't in the criminal system because you're not a criminal. You're not sending your DNA in because you're a criminal you're sending it in because you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what percentage German or Dutch you are. We have a robust criminal database of DNA. Uh, pretty much anybody convicted of a felony gets their DNA taken and put into the database. And in a lot of states, like California, they take your DNA if you're arrested for a felony. Even if you're never charged with a crime, they take it at the time of your arrest. And they do it because we voted for it. It was Proposition uh, 69, and it passed by 62% 2004, and it said, hey, man, we don't really going to wait until somebody's convicted. You get picked up. We're going to go ahead and get your DNA and put in the database, but not for a misdemeanor. 
And if they're, right now, there's a big controversy going on because remember when uh, we reduced many felonies to misdemeanors? So it means people are getting arrested for crimes now and they're not getting their DNA taken because it's not a felony anymore. And there are some lawmakers who are trying to do something about that. The problem is the only real solution is to pass a law that says, even if you're arrested for a misdemeanor, we're taking your DNA. So cops can always, let's say they arrest you, they take your DNA, and they can put it in the system, and they can see if it matches DNA profiles from other crimes. But that's all within the context of the criminal justice system and criminal DNA records. This new access to these non-criminal databases is what has all the privacy advocates extremely concerned. Because if they can get it, and I don't know how many people are really that wigged out, law enforcement officers conducting legitimate investigations, they have the DNA of a criminal, but they don't know who it is. They run it through the criminal database. There's no match. Then they try to run what they call the familial match. Do you know that if you if you have a 10% match with somebody else's DNA, uh, that means they're your cousin. And if you have, a, I think it's a 50% match means that the other person is either a sibling or your parent or your child. And this has become a great technique where if you can't get a direct match, you might be able to get a familial match. And at least you know somebody who's related to the perpetrator that you're looking for. And you can go talk to them and see what they know about uh, any possible people in their family who might be suspects. And a lot of times they they catch bad guys this way. They did it not only with this Golden State killer. They did it with the Grim Sleeper. And they did it with a guy, Derek Sanders, who was called the Roaming Rapist up in Northern California. But here, this is important information about you. And I'm having trouble thinking specifically, how would a hacker, for example, how would a hacker use your DNA information? Not your actual DNA, but the information about your DNA. How would they use it? And even though I can't think of a reason, I bet you already there are hackers around the world who have some ideas. So it's something to think about if you're going to use one of these companies. All right. Hey, when we come back, uh, the California... Hmm? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And the uh, thank you, Alex, for reminding me. The um, accused Golden State killers being arraigned today at 1.30, and our own Chris and Carlo will be up there covering it live. When we come back, the California Supreme Court issued a very interesting ruling about when you can take kids away from parents because of what the kid says. We'll get into that when we come back. It's the Bill Handel Show, KFI AM 6. KFI AM 640. This is the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out. He lost his voice completely. And I want to tell you about a very interesting California Supreme Court case. First, here's what happened. 
There's a three-year-old girl, and she is molested by an eight-year-old neighbor. Mom calls the cops. They take the girl to the hospital. They do an examination, and it's inconclusive. And so there's no official action taken. But there doesn't seem to be a controversy that it really did happen. Two months later, the girl sees this kid again and gets very scared and confused and upset, as you might imagine. About four days after that, the girl goes to her mother and says, completely out of the blue, my dad put his penis on me. And the mom says, no, 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 honey, that was this kid who did that to you. And then mom goes to dad and says, hey, I don't know, she just said, you know, this thing. And the dad's like, that's crazy. Well, because she was in the system, she was on the radar of the system as having been a victim of this kid, a social worker made a a visit to her preschool. And she said it again. My dad did this. So the county takes her and her brother to a a special facility for children. It's a forensic facility where they interview them, they videotape the interviews, and they they try to get more information about what might have happened. And so they do interview the girl, and they videotape the interview, and then the child welfare worker says, I believe her. I think the father really did this, so I'm filing the petition And I want these kids declared a dependence of the juvenile court because the girl had been abused in the home. Both of these kids are at risk. So they go and they have a court hearing. And the the little girl is testifying, and it's pretty clear that she's not old enough to really understand everything and even maybe the difference between reality and fantasy. For example, she couldn't, she couldn't differentiate between a penis and a train. She also said, oh, my dad molested my stepsister. He molested my babysitter. He molested the babysitter's sister. The father is saying, hey, no, none of this is true. She's disturbed because of what happened to her with that neighbor kid. The mom believes the dad. She said, there's no way that this is true. Well, the judge is looking at the videotape of the interview and the kid's statements, and the judge says, yeah, I believe her. I believe her because why would she lie? So they take the kids out of the house, but then sometimes what they can do, instead of taking the kids out of your house, they can take the person, the adult, out of the house which is what they did. So they let the kids come back, but the dad had to stay away from the house. Now, a couple of years ago, the juvenile court decided the dad can come home again, which perhaps made the whole thing moot. But the father said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm appealing this whole thing because I have to clear my name. And, you know, the cops looked into this, and the cops didn't charge me with anything. 
So they go all the way up to the state Supreme Court, and basically the Supreme Court said, you know what? The judge never should have relied on that little girl's statements. Not that the girl's statements shouldn't have been part of the case, but the court needed more because this girl weaves fantasy and reality together. She's not uh, mature enough to be a credible witness. And I think they even have a phrase. Sometimes they call, and, and it can be a child that's too young. Sometimes it can be an adult that has maybe mental issues. There are other reasons. I think they call them a, a truth-impaired witness, where it's not that they're lying at all. It's that they don't understand what's real and what isn't real. And so the things that they say don't really have any inherent credibility. And the judge, you know, he basically said, look, I heard what she had to say and I believe her. So the Supreme Court said that is not enough. You can't be doing that. What does this mean moving forward? Uh, It means it might be much more difficult to protect children who really are being abused in the house. Because judges are going to need something else. Now, if they had found medical evidence of abuse, that would have sealed the deal for sure. And there are cases where you can consider these statements of these little kids, but they have to have what they call a special indicia of reliability. And I don't really know how you're ever going to have one. If you say it's a very little kid who's not old enough to even really understand what's true and what's make-believe, but somehow this time they really do understand the difference. So as a practical matter, I think judges are going to be less likely to take action. Uh, in cases like this, when the evidence is basically the testimony of such a small child. When we come back, speaking of small children, Kim Jong-un apparently has decided he doesn't want to act like a small child anymore. He wants to act like a big boy leader on the world stage. And we'll tell you what came out of that historic meeting between the North and the South in Korea. This is the Bill Handel Show. It's KFI AM 640. Amy King has some news now. KFI AM 640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is off. He completely lost his voice. Probably uh, cheering over the reunification of North and South Korea, which is, I'm sure, just around the corner. Their historic one-day bilateral summit, which began with uh, Kim Jong-un basically walking. I don't know if you were watching the live coverage as he walked across the North Korean border into the DMZ. But, wow, they could have they could have picked up that coverage just, I don't know, 10 seconds before he gets to the South Korean president. But it seemed like they followed him for a good couple of minutes, just trotting along. And uh, how do you know that you have left North Korea and you're in the DMZ between the two countries. Like, what what demarcation is there? Is there a huge gate and guards? And no, you step over a curb, basically. And there you are. And the two leaders met. And I got to say something. First of all, it was definitely a contrast. Because the South Korean president looks like any sort of Western-style world leader. He's wearing a suit that we think of when we think of a suit 
and he just looks like a guy. And here's Kim Jong-un, and he wears that tunic thing that he wears. And uh, the South Korean president has, and I'm not, look, I'm not ragging on anybody's choices. I'm just saying, if you looked at the South Korean president, you would have nothing to say about his hair. This is a guy with hair. He just has normal hair. He just has hair. But, you know, Kim Jong-un has that thing that he does, and he's wearing that thing. And uh, even though they're right across the border from each other, and even though they used to all be one country, it looks like two completely different people from two completely different worlds. But I will say, it was nice to see Kim Jong-un come across, come up to the South Korean president. They had a nice handshake. And then Kim Jong-un, they, they, you know, they were speaking to each other, and Kim Jong-un was doing most of the talking, at least for the part that I saw. But you know what? He had a smile on his face. He looked like a happy guy. And he looked in that moment like a rational person. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Then they posed for a photo. Get in your mind... Two big world leaders coming to a summit, the eyes of the world upon them, and they pose for a photo and get an image in your head of what that might look like. Mm, that's not what it is. We have it up on uh, the Instagram for this show, at Bill Handel Show, and you can see the photograph. I don't know, is this the official photograph of the entire summit, or is this just one of the officials? Uh, I know when you, for example, uh, when you get engaged and you have a photographer come and they take engagement photos and usually they take a bunch of different ones, right? This looks like an outtake from one of those. And also when you go to the Instagram and look at it, you will see something shocking. And that is that these two world leaders ripped off their pose from two other world leaders you'll see what it is go there in the meantime it was just a one-day summit here's what they have decided they're going to do they will get rid of the nuclear weapons from the uh, korean peninsula well this is something that they've agreed to do before not totally sure what's different now but they say they're going to do it very squishy goal they don't have any timeline they don't have any specifics about it they're also going to and this this next one i don't even understand they're going to push for talks with the United States, maybe China also, to officially end the Korean War. I guess because we're part of that, we were part of that action, so do we also have to go in there and say, yeah, we also agree to end it? Because they could, couldn't they certainly end the hostilities between each other? But it's never ended. It's an armistice. And so they're actually at war, like right now. These two guys were hugging, and their two countries are technically at war. Um, and the problem is, I guess South Korea can't really do it because South Korea is not a direct signatory to this armistice. So we have to get involved in the United States. They also agreed that they will stop all hostile acts over land, sea and air. Again, a little bit squishy because they're not specifying what is or is not a hostile act, although I will tell you that at one point, speaking of the nuclear tests uh, that North Korea has been doing and their apparent agreement to stop them, at least for a while, Kim Jong-un said to President Moon of South Korea, he said, 
uh, I'm going to stop interrupting your early morning sleep, which is pretty nice. Also, starting May 1st, they will stop all the loudspeaker propaganda broadcasts because they're blaring junk at each other constantly. Now, I don't understand this. Why not just flip the switch and be done? It, why, why? It's like, look, we want to stop blaring propaganda at each other. Uh, we'll stop it coming up in a few days. Pull the plug right now. They also are going to stop dropping propaganda leaflets across the border. And, uh, you know, they have this maritime border on the west, and a lot of times you get these skirmishes between the north and the south. They've agreed that they're going to try to stop that from happening, and they're going to designate the area as a peace zone. And that way... And this is good for the fishermen who work in that area because you have North Korean fishermen, South Korea fishermen. They go into this zone, and sometimes they can get caught up in the hostility, so it'll make it nice for them to go do their fishing. And then uh, they're going to have more talks, more talks in May after the loudspeakers have died down, and they're going to further talk about reducing tensions. And guess what else? South Korean President Moon, he's going to go over to North Korea, maybe sometime in the fall. Also, permanent communication office in North Korea. And they're going to allow reunions between relatives who were separated by that Korean War. It all looks good on paper. There's not a lot of details. And I'm sure that most people are still suspicious uh, of whether Kim Jong-un can follow through on acting like an adult. Now, I know one thing that could help reduce tensions. And uh, it's something that they're doing in China right now to reduce the tensions in the tech industry. Now, I don't know if the North Koreans and the South Koreans want to bring this on, but when we come back, I'm going to tell you about a very well-paying job that you could get in China if you meet the qualifications. And coming up after this break, your chance to win $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. Bleeding gums? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888 KFI AM 640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill out with a thrashed voice. Hopefully he can uh, keep quiet over the weekend and come back on Monday. Before we get into this wonderful job in China that you might want to apply for, it's your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword cash to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's cash to 200-200. If you win, they're going to call you. But if you don't answer, you won't win. Joyce in Artesia answered that call and she won $1,000. You've got another chance to win next hour. All right, now, there is a well-paying job in China, but you have to meet certain qualifications. Before I tell you what the qualifications are, let me tell you how well it pays. It pays the United States dollars equivalent of $950 a month. And the average salaries in the private sector over there in China are about half that. So it's very, it's pretty good paying. Now, it's in the tech sector. And I'm assuming 
average salaries in the tech sector are probably higher than overall. But it's still a very good job, and it's a stable job because it's one of those jobs that they will always need. The job is programmer motivator. And this is what you have to have in order to get this job. First qualification, uh, you have to be a lady. You also have to be at least five foot two inches tall. You also have to have a soft and pleasing voice. Also, you have to have, and I will just quote from the translated part here, you must have five facial features that must definitely be in their proper order, which I think just means you have to be good looking. Also, would help if you have a contagious laugh and you can apply simple makeup. And this is your job. And it's actually a complicated job because you are part psychologist, you are part coach, you are part masseuse. Your job is to help the guys who are writing code stay motivated and relaxed and help them with the stress of the very long hours that they spend writing this code. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but there's a stereotype in China about guys who write code. And the stereotype is that they're nerds. Shocking, I know. And it is true, and it's not a stereotype, that they work incredibly long hours. In fact, most of them will work 10, 11 hours straight and not go home. They'll work 10, 11 hours straight, and then a lot of them have folding beds next to their desks. So they'll work 10, 11 hours, and they'll take a little nap, and then they'll get back at it again. And, of course, there's starting to be a little bit of backlash against these jobs, since they do seem to be a a bit sexist and uh, objectifying of women. And also that in China, women in the tech industry uh, are still not very present at high levels. Alibaba is that big e-commerce giant in China, and they have 11 members of their board, and only one of them is a woman. Baidu is their big search engine. Nobody on that board is a woman. Uh, A game and social media company, Tencent, they don't have any women on their board. Now, by comparison, and by the way, um, the New York Times wants to make this comparison to show how much more evolved we are here in the United States. Twitter has a nine-person board. Three of them are women. And uh, Facebook has nine directors, and two of them are women. Now, I understand statistically that's better than what's going on in China. It's still not that great since women are uh, half a little hair over half of the population, but I guess we're doing a better job than they are there. Some people are so concerned that even the group Human Rights Watch is weighing in, saying that they should get rid of these uh, programming motivators because really what they are, they're like eye candy slash fake girlfriend for these guys. But I'll tell you what, If you can get past that part of it, is it such a bad job to just kind of talk to these guys and give them neck rubs and make a lot of money? Oh, now that that came out of my mouth, 
Yeah, it actually it actually Sounds is really bad. Yeah, it's really it is really really bad. <laughs> Sometimes you have to say a thing to really get it. All right, coming up, handle on the news late edition. It's a super segment with no commercials and some information on how you could hang out with all of us here from KFI. That's coming up. It's KFI AM 640. Handle on the news. Late edition. Handle on the news. And now, KFI AM six forty. This is the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out because he lost his voice, and he didn't put one of those um, tile tags on it, so he can't just press a button and have his voice beep, so he knows where it is. I'm sure he'll be back on Monday. We are doing Handle of the News Late Edition. Uh, here's what's going on. Bill lost his voice. Jennifer Jones Lee lost the ability to not go on a vacation. So Amy King is in for Jennifer Jones Lee. Mo Kelly is here. And me. This is a super segment. No commercials. And before we do the lead story, how would you like to hang out with all the hosts from KFI in a swanky location, and donate to a good cause. Donate now to help the American Red Cross Initiative to Get Prepared California, and you and a guest will mix and mingle with the KFI crew. It's an exclusive evening at the beautiful OUE Sky Space in Los Angeles, which is on top of the U.S. Bank Tower, and it's the place that has that scary sky slide thing. Where it's all clear plexiglass. Have you done it yet? No! I remember when Joe Kwan did it. Yeah, no, it looks fun. And it's short, so you don't have, like, you won't have to be terrified for more than a few seconds. Yeah, because it's only down, like, one floor. Right. But it's on the outside of the building, and it's all clear, and you sort of forget that you are encased. You kind of forget. It feels like you're just flying outside of the building. And you're about 1,000 feet up. Yeah. Um, So here's the deal. You want the details, right? Log on to KFIAM640.com. Search the keyword mixer. You have to be 21 years or older to attend. You will get to meet all the people from KFI. There's a live Q&A session, photo opportunities, and unlimited sky slides following. Did I just say sky slides? Unlimited sky slide rides. Unlimited? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to wait in line with all the other people. From the group that are doing it, but I think at that point, it's only the KFI group. Nice. uh, Following the mixer. All right, so go to KFIAM640.com, search mixer, and we have limited tickets, so get them before they're gone. Now, handle on the news, late edition, lead story. But I'm a Yes, the Golden State killer suspect will be arraigned in court today at 1.30, and our own Chris N. Carlo is up in Sacramento to cover it for us. We already know he's charged with multiple murder counts. So I don't I don't think and there's no way he's pleading guilty at his arraignment, by the way. He will plead not guilty and they will go. I probably next thing will be some kind of preliminary hearing. The only real question is, and it's not that different, but will he be ordered held without bail? Or will he be ordered held on like fifty million dollars bail? Either way, functionally, he's not he's not gonna be out. On bail. It's charged with 12 murders. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's going to stay in. There's going to be more charges, too, as all the different counties where uh, he allegedly committed so many burglaries and rapes and stuff, as they all get on board here. He's going to be shuttling around this state for quite some time. Don't you wonder, though, what happened? If he did this between, well, we know what happened, but between the 70s and 80s, he's creating or, you know, carrying out all these heinous acts. And then he just stops. What stopped him? I more wonder about what we don't know. I wonder about the murders that he got away with that aren't on or haven't been connected to him. Oh, maybe he didn't stop. Could he have been one of the rare serial offenders that changed his M.O.? So maybe he kept killing people, but with a completely different M.O. And so, as Mo said, they never connected it to him. I don't know if they'll get all the bodies which are connected to him. Yeah. All right. Happy news from North and South Korea. It's my turn. Thank you, Wayne. You bet. (laughs) Okay, so there was hugging. There was uh, handshakes. And there was this really weird picture. Um, Which is on uh, Instagram, at Bill Handel Show, along with the original photograph from which these two world leaders stole their hugging pose. That is up on the Instagram at Bill Handel Show. Okay, and of course we're talking about the leaders of North and South Korea who have agreed to end the Korean War. Although South Korea can't really do it. Well, they can't do it alone. They need to have the they U.S. and China to sign off on it, right? right. Because- we, they're not a signatory to the armistice. They're not a direct signatory, right. so they can't really do it. But I'm sure we would be happy to go over there and do whatever's necessary if they work out an actual plan, right? Right, and they talked today about working towards the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Remember earlier, Kim Jong-un said, oh yeah, I'm going to stop testing. I I don't need to test anymore. I'm going to stop testing. I'm going to dismantle this testing site. But he didn't say he was going to denuclearize. Yeah, but this is a real broad goal. Really broad. So it was like, what is he going to want? Working towards. if, If he really would give up all nuclear capability, what does he want for that? Probably more than a Zagnut bar. Probably. But will he get it? The, uh, the most fascinating part of the story, not the most, but one of the really fascinating parts of the story to me is how they're talking about reunifying the families. Because when they signed the armistice in 1953, they literally split the country in two, and there are families who haven't seen each other for years. I was talking to ABC's Terry Moran earlier today, who's over there in, at Pam and John, and he said he went into the shop, and the shopkeeper has this picture of his I can't remember if it was a brother or something that he literally hasn't seen for 65 years. And mm-hmm. he his goal is one day to see him again. That should be priority one for these guys to work out something on that. Because that helps actual people right away. That would be super cool. Except then the people from the north would come down and see the south and go, hey, hold on a I second. I'll never go back. Yeah. The House Republicans have released a redacted Russia report. From Russia with love. The House Intelligence Committee today released that redacted version of the Republican report over the committee's year-long uh, Russian investigation. In short, it basically said, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. Specifically, Representative Mike Conaway, the Texas Republican who led the committee's probe, said, quote, we found no evidence of collusion, and so we found perhaps some bad judgment, inappropriate meetings. All right, but the Democrats don't agree with that conclusion. They think there was collusion, and so they're doing what, their what own has investigation. Been so- right? What has <laughs> well, been solved? What bothers me is they say no collusion, 
and they don't necessarily even reflect what the intelligence community has been saying about at least the Russian incursion. Well, I've, I thought we all agreed. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought we all agreed Russian actors did things. And what we can't agree on is whether the Trump campaign knew about it, had anything to do with it, or wanted it. But I guess there's still people who don't believe anybody from Russia did anything in our election. But you understand someone who's worked in the federal investigation justice system, how can you have an investigation when you don't uh, actually interview everyone who's connected to it or you allow people to testify and not answer any of your questions? Yes, exactly. It's the quality of the – and I'm not taking a side here because what I'm saying, the quality of the evidence that we have access to is not enough to reach a conclusion one way or the other. Hey, a Senate committee has passed out a bill that would protect uh, Robert Mueller from being fired. Please don't wait, Mr. Prosecutor Mueller. Well, not really. But what it would do is if the president were to fire Mueller, Mueller would have a 10-day window to seek expedited judicial review. So wait, he could, wait, 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 what does that mean? It means, let's say, Trump today goes, you're fired. Mueller can immediately go to a judge and say, uh, this is crap, stop this. And a judge could rule and say, no, no, you can't fire him. And Trump would say, but that's what I do. I know, that's but then it I gets say. tied up in court. <laughs> the, but Because right now, the, Trump goes, you're fired, that's it. He's got to clean out his desk. The problem is, there's no way it's going to pass. It got out of the committee because four Republicans voted for it. The traitors, right? Chuck Grassley and Lindsey Graham and Jeff Flake and Tom Tillis of North Carolina. The traitors. They voted for it. But Mitch McConnell already said he's never going to allow this thing to be voted on anyway. It's not going to hit the floor. I really don't know what the point is of that. I mean, it sucks when uh, Mitch McConnell says, I don't care what law it is or how it's written. I will never allow it to be voted on. I think that sucks. I think they should be allowed to vote on things. But I also think... If you know that he won't, why bother? But also, this is why voting is so important, especially in midterm elections, because you get to decide who's going to have the majority in these houses, who's going to have these plum committee appointments and and assignments, which have all sorts of impact, having nothing to do with the actual office in which you're voting for president. Right, right, right. Uh, Speaking of impact, California and New York may be bracing for an impact from all the rich people leaving. Eight hundred thousand people could leave New York and California because of taxes, and specifically the new tax bill. The tax changes will limit the deduction of state and local taxes to ten thousand dollars in California. So, a lot of higher earners will face tax increases under the new tax code. Their effective tax rate, according to these analysts, is. Um, the effective tax rate would jump from 8.5% to 13%, causing an exodus of residents who will want to move to lower or no-income tax states. Does that put the lie to the idea that uh, the tax cut is just to help the rich people? Because the rich people in some states are actually getting hosed by this. It's the rich people in California and New York because of the limitations on it. Still 90% of the people are expected to get a tax cut. When I got my tax return, mm-hmm. my tax person said... Here's a comparison for this year, and here's what to expect for next year. And she said, you're going to get a tax cut. See, that that I got the exact opposite with all due respect to Amy 
king. If only because. Well, you make more money than I do, Mo. No, well, that's good. <laughs> no, but I probably have more deductions. Well, we're in a similar boat in terms of we have a lot of itemized deductions, which will not be around next year. So I think it's more on a case by case basis. Yeah, but generally, when you're wealthier in California, generally. you're gonna you're gonna yeah. get hosed by this. And also, um, it's a Connecticut. And New Jersey and Minnesota, they say there's going to be an exodus of rich people from those states. The guys who are saying it, they're conservative economists, and they advise, or they have advised President Trump in the past. They're not anti-Trump people who are saying it. But there's a guy up at Stanford, an economist and sociologist, who says that's a bunch of crap and nobody's going to leave. And his evidence is there's been high taxes in these states forever. And they still have the highest concentration of rich people. And so here's apparently the, other the rich thing. people don't mind. If the if the Democrats have been pa- calling for increasing taxes on the wealthier people for years, so why isn't everybody happy about this? Because it, it does appear that the wealthier people are going to pay more. Well, but if they leave, then see if you get if you get a million dollars in taxes, right? That's good. And if you're like, well, what if we could get $1.1 million in taxes? That's better. But what if you get zero now because the guy left? But like you said, are people really going to leave? Well, that's what they're speculating on, I guess. Yeah, we will see. That's the thing. At least we will someday be able to revisit this and know who was right. You know, I really don't like my driver license picture. Mm -hmm. But now, if you hate it, there's a new bill which proposes allowing drivers like you and me to change their picture. The fear of a dreadful driver license photo may be coming to an end. The California legislator, legislature is considering SB 1407, which would allow you to choose which photo ends up on your license. You could take three or four when you're in that DMV line, and then you get to go up to NC. Do you want A, B, oh. or C? But. Well, there's always a but. Yes. It's going to. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. Yeah. Well, of course. It's a great. Listen. If you want to take extra pictures, you have to pay extra money. Let the vain people pay. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I like this idea, but it doesn't it doesn't cost anything to physically take two extra pictures because That's, it's all done digitally, right? And uh, now that you uh, get, according to this bill, you could take it at a pre-approved photography center. So it would be like you could going, bring your own photo. It would be like your passport photo, where you go get your passport photos taken, pick your favorite. I don't have a problem with get. this because because nobody has to pay any extra. You can take the picture that they take and use it, and you don't have to pay extra. I wonder what I like. I don't see. I don't like taxes where you have no choice. I like fees where you have a choice and you don't you cannot pay it if you don't want. to. Right. You can take the picture that they give you and off you go. And it's made it through a committee, but it's got a long way to go before it becomes law. It will make getting your license renewed a pain in the butt, though, if you get behind one of these people. I don't know. Do I like that one better or do I like that Right. If they're going to set a timer, it's like, look, we took three pictures and you have 30 30 seconds seconds. to pick one. (laughs) Or can you just stand there all day? Uh, Gas Buddy has done a study and they have revealed which states in the United States have the most aggressive drivers. Guess who's number one? California. Now, they're not talking about aggressive driving, uh, like cutting people off. They're talking about driving your car hard and getting worse gas mileage. So, like things like just totally flooring it. Yeah, jackrabbit starts, hard braking, speeding. 
and depending on how aggressively you drive your car, you could be losing almost $500 a year in fuel uh, efficiency. Do you have a, a hybrid vehicle? I do not. So my brother got a Prius a couple years ago down here, and he said it became like a video game for him. And I've talked to other hybrid drivers who they you can watch the computer as your gas mileage improves or you know or as it decreases and so then your goal is to use the least amount as you possibly can and it's a whole game with them it's also why it stinks to be behind a prius on the road because they don't accelerate fast yeah so in california (laughs) there was an average of 6.6 minutes between uh, aggressive acts but you know what part of this is? We have way more stop-and-go traffic. Right. More That's opportunities obvious. to break hard and jackrabbit start. Well, but so this is not fair. Did they did they control for traffic density in this study, Gas Buddy? Did you? Don't know, but Texas is right up there. It's still top five, and they've got a lot of wide open space. Yeah, but they also have, they have Houston guns. and Dallas. and <laughs> That's true. That's a different kind of aggressive oh, driving. My bad. Okay, uh, new changes to the census. It doesn't have anything to do with... Your illegal or legal immigration status. About time that we raised up. Remember, that's a whole new point of contention on whether that they're going to include uh, include legal status on the census. Well, uh, the Census Bureau has submitted to Congress. It is planning to add the question about whether uh, people are part of a same-sex couple. Good. Now, guess what? So now the uh, resistor crowd has something to get upset about, which is putting the illegal alien question on there. And the red-pilled keckheads, they can now get upset about putting the same-sex couple question on there, and everybody can be upset about the census. Isn't it just supposed to be a head count? Yeah, but you've got to have some demographic information, otherwise it's sort of useless. I mean, I guess you could just say, all we want to know is how many people live where to apportion congressional districts and that's the only thing we're using it for but that's never been the case for no. only congressional di- districts though. right yeah it, it helps allocate more than 400 billion dollars in federal funding but that's isn't that just headcount stuff but it's also no. based on the demographics oh. yeah because a person because you know why because of course we define ourselves by all of our by our race and our age and our gender and our sexual preferences and all of these things so a person is not a person you can't just say there's 10,000 people over there and 10,000 people over there. They should get all equal resources. Okay, we've we've decided point. that it's important to know all this other stuff about what kind of people they are. And we and at that point, then, shouldn't you know as much as possible about what kind of people? Well, Wouldn't it be nice if we quit separating each other? Oh, I'm going to come in there and plant a tree in the news booth with you oh, good. after the show, Amy King. It would be nice, but <laughs> it'd be nice. It'd be, but... it'd be nice. I'll just leave it at that. All right. But you know, there's a reason why we do have the census, so we can separate out certain bad apples, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like in North Carolina, the woman who's accused of trying to steal babies says she just wanted to give them Bibles. Jesus loves me, this I know. They can't read. <laughs> Is it a Mattel see and spin Bible? You beat me to it. <laughs> No, it's okay. You beat me there. I mean, that's the obvious. The woman who was denied entry into a North Carolina children's hospital has been charged with felonies and then accused of attempting to steal babies, denied that what she was trying to do, well, according to the interview, phone interview with a TV station, she was trying to give them Bibles instead. (laughs) 
She was okay. she was trying to get in so yeah. she could spread the good news. Yeah, you can't look. And by the way, first of all, babies should have Bibles, even though they can't read it. But okay. But also, she couldn't just leave them at the front desk. Here's a stack of Bibles for the babies. She had to individually deliver the Bible to each baby. Yeah, um, Please, yeah. she wanted to steal a baby. I say this as a Christian. Were the, were the Bibles hollowed out? The stacks of Bibles were hollowed out. She was going to put the babies inside the hollowed out Bibles. Were they premature? Carry me out of there. I don't know. If, I if you stack up, you, haven't you seen those giant versions of the Bible? Not you since stack I was up like, like ten four of years old. Yeah, but you can't carry them. They're too heavy. You use a hand truck. Oh. You guys got a lot to learn about moving big, heavy Bibles. Look, and I say this as a Christian, okay? I don't want you bringing in your Bible so you can get next to my child, all right? Leave that to me, the parent. Yes. Hey, uh, we have an inmate in North Carolina who is suing to be allowed to practice witchcraft. Because it's witchcraft. Yes, Wicca. Uh, Jennifer and Jasmine. Now, look, they're making a big deal about the fact that this is a transgender inmate. But that's not really relevant to the lawsuit. It's just somebody saying, I need to practice Wicca, and they're not letting me practice it enough. For example, Christian inmates are allowed to worship six times a week. But she is only allowed to observe the eight Wicca holy festivals throughout the year instead of being able to practice every week. Wicca, please. She also, uh, you're the only person on the show who could do that. She also, some of the uh, inmates, the Native American inmates, are allowed to have rituals outside with fire. And but that's they, what she wants to She do. wants to have rituals where she can light a candle and set a fire. And then the other thing is they won't give her the appropriate Wicca foods. For example, every Wicca festival has a, a food theme. So there's one coming up that focuses on dairy, right? And she says, well, what I should have is vanilla ice cream and oatmeal cakes. Uh, did you read on to see the part where she's kind of a pain in the arse? Oh, yeah. She was not allowed to speak at one of her trials, and she appealed, and the appeals court said, oh, no, no, no. The court was faced with a cantankerous, foul-mouthed defendant who was threatening the probation officer at the hearing, and therefore the sentence that you got was not unreasonable because you were a super jerk. Yeah, and then she's also accused of 60 infractions from lock tampering and disobeying orders to sex acts and threatening This is a problem person. She should look at herself in her scrying mirror. And make a change. When we come back, it's John Thomas time. The Thomas Guide to Politics coming up. Hey, how's Romney doing in his quest for the Senate? What about Kanye helping to rally the black vote, but maybe for Trump? And an interesting development in the California governor's race. John will be in here in a moment. It's KFI AM 640. Amy King's got some news. Time for the Thomas Guide to All Things Political. John Thomas on The Bill Handel Show. I told y'all I didn't vote, right? But I didn't tell you. I guess I told you. But if I would have voted, I would have voted on Trump. KFI AM640, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is out with a thrashed-out voice. 
He should be back on Monday. And uh, it is time, of course, for the Thomas Guide to Politics with our political analyst, John Thomas. And before we get into politics, you have a very important announcement for it's people. It's Free Movie Friday again. This is my job when I come here. <laughs> to get in this promo. Alex is like, here, read it. It's Free Movie Friday. Adam Tickets is back. They're giving you a chance for uh, free movie tickets. I used Adam last night to go see The Avengers, which was spectacular. Oh, how does that end? Yeah, Alex actually has a pair of scissors she's going to stab into my neck if I go any further. So stop baiting me. But what you need to do... Do is any of those guys, uh, heroes die <laughs> in this movie? Wait! You wouldn't <clears throat> believe what happens. Actually, it really is a spectacular movie. But All right. text Adam now. That's the word Adam, A-T-O-M-1, for your chance to... Or excuse me, no. Text reporter to Adam1 for your chance to win. How did I botch that one? Because I tried to get you to spoil the movie. Anyway, do that now. Standard data and text messaging rates do apply. All right. Uh, what do you want to get into first? Do you want to you want to start in California yeah, and let's move do that. outward? Make our way outward. Yeah. All right. So, uh, interesting development in the governor's race. Yeah. Here's the thing. Last week, when I was with uh, Handel, by the way, it's great to see you, Wayne. You too. Yeah. Uh, when I was with Handel, I gave a sneak preview of a of a poll that had not been released yet from a very reputable pollster showing that Antonio Viragoso was essentially stuck at 7%. John Cox uh, was in a, a comfortable uh, second place, and Gavin, of course, is in that first-place finish. And I made the, the declaration last week that this race is essentially over for Antonio Viragosa because he has such a steep hill to climb. At the same time, you're starting to see Republicans coalesce around John Cox. Now, Cox still has work to do. If he his his 15, 16% are what we call leaners. They're not firm, solid supporters. His solid supporters is really about 8 to 9%. So he needs to shore up that additional 8%. And that just requires some advertising. Now, he's got to spend a few million bucks. He's got to cut that check. But what the good news for a guy like Cox is, you don't have to cut a $15 million check to lock up that to get into a second-place finish. We're talking a few million dollars in key radio and TV markets in the home stretch, and Cox should be okay. But the more damning news is just two weeks ago, uh, the found, the CEO of Netflix cut Antonio Viragosa's super PAC, an $8 million check. I think a couple other rich guys kicked in a few million bucks. So Antonio has about – I think it, he's got about 9 or $10 million. Everybody goes, well, Antonio's going to get into a second place. Wrong. That's not going to happen because Berkeley just released another poll showing that despite Antonio's super PAC now being up on the airwaves for about a week and a half, Antonio's still locked at that 7%. He hasn't moved. Wayne, let's just back up. When you advertise in politics, if you're not seeing movement for your guy, that means the ads aren't working. That means people aren't buying what you're selling. And add on top of that, it's even harder for Antonio because almost most of his money is coming from these super PACs. And what most people don't understand is a dollar in a super PAC is not the same as a dollar that a candidate himself controls because a super PAC has to pay the commercial rate for advertising. A candidate pays the candidate rate, which is the lowest, the lowest unit rate, which generally speaking, it costs 50% less than the commercial rate for a candidate to advertise. So simple math. You take Antonio's eight or nine million dollars, you divide it in half, you've got about 
Antonio Super PAC really only has about $4 million, maybe $5 million to spend. In a statewide race, $4 million, when you've got to go from zero to hero, you know, grow essentially, you know, you got to grow 10 plus points in a very short amount of time. That's that's almost impossible to do with the equivalent of $4 million. So Antonio's bid, unless somebody comes in literally with, you know, million, $20 I don't anticipate the needle to move. It does look like it will be a top two uh, uh, Republican and a Democrat in the race. And I got a lot of pushback last week, Wayne, when I basically said that John Cox is going to be in the second place from the Travis Allen people that listen to Handle Show. You don't know what you're talking about. Travis has a lot of support. He might. Also, I, you, let me give you pushback just in this sense. We we had a poll. See, here's the thing. How do you know which poll well, is the is the best measure of reality? Because I know we had a story in Handle on the News earlier earlier this week, and it was a poll, and it was Newsom number one and Villaraigosa number two. Right. Well, I, I know in this case because the poll, uh, the Berkeley poll that I'm citing today is less credible. It's not quite as uh, uh, – I wouldn't take it to the bank. But the poll I cited two weeks ago is from a close friend and colleague of mine, a guy named Justin Wallen. I think he's the best pollster probably in the nation. I use him all the time in my stuff. I literally, when he comes out with numbers, you take that to the bank. I mean, it's rock solid. So that's why I know. And he has a track record of a, that. A, a, a huge track record of calling races accurately in California and elsewhere. Tough races where public polling was wrong. So here's the thing. Can Travis grow? Can he get into a second place? Travis will grow because he smartly bought all these slate cards. Uh, he bought them early, and that's a that goes to most Republican voters. What's a slate uh, card? Uh, without getting into it, it's with those like it'll say attention Republicans, and it'll have ten or fifteen candidates listed. You know, oh, it's sort of like vote for all these it, people exactly. as a group. It's, okay. it's it's kind of a trick in a way, but but he bought those. the 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 challenge is though, Travis will grow, but he likely can't outgrow Cox. And he won't ha- – he has – all he had was enough money to buy these slate cards. He has no money to contrast or go negative on Cox. So wouldn't what be, he needs to do is pull down Cox, and he can't do it. I was going to say, wouldn't it be smart if, if – if, and I understand politicians don't work on an altruistic <laughs> motive. But like if, if it was important to people to try to get a Republican on the ballot and maybe even somehow get a Republican in the governor's mansion, shouldn't Travis Allen – Drop out and throw his support behind Cox. Yeah, that's true. It's you know it's the prisoner's dilemma, but 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 uh, you're unlikely to see that, especially at this stage. That's a conversation really pre-filing. Uh, so Travis is here to stay. I I like him, uh, but uh, remember it is important uh, if a Republican, Travis or Cox, gets to the top two, which it looks like one will. That is so monumentally important. Be, and it really has nothing to do with the governor's race. The The key, key is if there's a, a Republican at the top two governor's race, I think that will move turnout by about two to three percentage points in favor of Republicans in the state of California, mm-hmm. which will save those key congressional seats in Orange County, which will likely save the House of Representatives in Republican hands. Wow. All right. Hey, when we come back, I want to ask you about another guy who came in number two. And what that means for him, talking about Mitt Romney. We'll be uh, on with John Thomas in a moment. But coming up after the break, your chance to win a thousand. Don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me, who you are, where you are. 
640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill out with a bad voice. Coming up at 930, Foodie Friday with Neil Saavedra, the Fork Reporter. And now, your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword LUCK to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's LUCK to 200-200. The winner's notified with a phone call, which you must answer like Lupe in Victorville did. Your next chance to win $1,000 coming up next hour. All right, we're here with uh, John Thomas, Thomas Guide to Politics, on social media at the Thomas Guide. And uh, the recent winner... Of a listener poll, by the way, who <laughs> yeah, who true. should Bill Handel have a bromance with, you or Dean Sharp? And uh, you won that one pretty handily, I might add. Yeah, it was a, it was a. Did it you was see what I did? Handily? Pretty handily. Oh, you, get that? you guys get that? <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's talk about. Uh, well, actually, you know what? We don't have time for both. Do you want to talk about Mitt Romney, or do you want to talk about let's... President Trump? Says he's got a lot of support from the blacks, and is that true? Let's, let's get... do Trump and blacks. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's not true. Uh, I mean it's just it's just not. Uh, did President Trump do better than to tie it into Mitt Romney? Did he do better than Mitt Romney did in 2012 with African Americans? Yeah, he did. He got a bigger share. But the African American voting bloc is, I mean, 90 plus percent votes demo party line. It really has nothing to do with Trump or Romney. It's just they vote Democrat. And this whole Kanye West thing. What's the impact? I, you know, but Kanye, yeah, Kanye West really coming out in support of President Trump, being seen in pictures with the "Make America Great Again" cap. Is that is that something that would inspire Black people to rethink? Maybe for half a second, but the the brand the Democratic Party has done such a good job of branding the Republicans as anti-Black that I think it'll take more than Kanye. However. Uh, I do think that Kanye's general approach and his tweets are interesting. Basically, he's angry about censorship. That's essentially his fundamental gripe, that people are saying Donald Trump shouldn't be allowed to speak. Uh, The diamonds and silks of the world shouldn't be allowed to deliver to talk about how how they want to frame messages. So I don't anticipate a significant shift in the voting block, but um, perhaps it'll give people a moment to think. All right. Now, Romney. Mm. Romney, who, when he announced he was going to run, they said, well, it's Utah, it's Romney, he's great, shoe in, it's his seat. He came in second at the convention, and the guy that he lost to, who even is this guy? A lot of he's people a, have never a, even state, heard yeah, of a, this guy. He's a state-led legislator. Michael Kennedy. He has $30,000 in his bank account compared to you know Romney's millions and millions and millions. And that's not even a check. I mean, Romney can cut checks on top of that. It was significant that he didn't win it outright. Um, although I think it speaks to the danger that Mitt has to be aware of going in. And that's that. He's not from Utah. You know, he's a guy. And by the way, he's not that conservative. You know, he did Romney care in Massachusetts, right? He was the governor. Um, he he does have some roots to Utah with the Olympics and, and all of that. But um, this is this is there are a bunch of uh, bogeys in this particular race. Will Romney win? Yes, very likely so. 
Ron, then what does it mean now that he didn't it, win? It, it means now that he, ha- he has to have a primary against a Republican. Before, if you got uh, over the two-thirds threshold, you literally are the nominee. You don't have to go through a primary. So it means he's got to run a primary race. He should get through, but there are a bunch of things that he's trying to avoid um, and, and dance delicately. Trump endorsed him when he first announced his candidacy, but R- Mitt Romney did not necessarily accept the endorsement because a lot of people are thinking Romney will be of the Jeff Flake, never Trump, uh, never Trump vein. So here's the big thing. Mitt Romney is trying his best not to act like this is a foregone conclusion that he's going to win, even though that's what a lot of candidates should do in this race. Being part of that Washington establishment is such a negative. It could undermine his whole campaign. I always tell candidates be careful what you wish for. If you act like an incumbent, you might just be treated like one. And in Utah, when the establishment, when they're kind of a draining the swamp mentality, that's not where you want to be. And that's even though Donald Trump is quite popular in Utah, Romney doesn't want to hug Trump because that reinforces the fact that the establishment and the D.C. insiders and all of those groups want Romney. He's trying to position himself as the local guy. Ah, oh, gee, shucks. I'm just trying to go and do some Good in Washington. That's the conversation. The good news is for him, he's got great favorables statewide. He's got a ton of money, and he'll be able to frame himself in that context. But just don't uh, – he's going to constantly be bucking the mainstream media's narrative that this race is a foregone conclusion. He doesn't want people to think that because then he becomes part of that system and the establishment. Right. All right. Good stuff. Uh, no pumpkin bread this week. Hmm. I didn't realize that was... Well, there's next week. There's next week. John Thomas, everybody. Uh, Coming up, Neil Saavedra, the Fork Reporter with Foodie Friday. Guess what the new sexy carb is. Neil's going to tell us all about it. It's KFI AM640. I'm starving. Food. Glorious food. Do you know how to cook? Or do you just know how to put trash in the oven and then put it on a plate? It's Foodie Friday with Neil Saavedra on The Bill Handel Show. KFI AM 640. It is Bill Handel's show. Bill's out with a messed up voice. Is it? Oh, yeah. Is it his show? Oh, yeah. Of course it's his Doesn't show. Doesn't he have to be on it consecutively? No. No. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. When when uh, Gary Shandling was guest hosting The Tonight Show, was it still not The Tonight Show with not Johnny Carson? Mind. Let's just take it over. No. Neil I'm not, and I'm Wayne, not, you know what? I've back lost... together again. We're getting the band back together. I uh, have lost my taste for anarchy for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what it is. What? You get a mortgage and a nice car, and you... all of a sudden, your taste for uh, overthrowing the status quo diminishes. You were the king of anarchy. I at was. The station. Oh, my goodness, I was. We don't have time to get into all the crazy stuff that used to happen at KFI. Maybe sometime we should do a segment oh, yeah. somewhere. A Maybe podcast. I'll come on Saturday. No, you could come on anytime. Maybe I'll come on Saturday sometime, and we can talk about the insane things that we did. Valentine Stay and Stay tuned for a uh, Fork Report episode coming soon. <laughs> hey, guess what? How would you like to hang out with Neil Saavedra? Oh, of I love that you guy. Would. Well, you have an opportunity. Uh, it involves making a nice donation to help the American Red Cross initiative to get prepared California. And when you do, you and a guest will mix and mingle with the KFI crew at the beautiful OUE Sky Space in Los Angeles, which is on top of the U.S. Bank Tower. 360-degree view of Los Angeles. Cocktails. A live Q&A. Photo opportunities. Mingling with all the hosts here at KFI. 
You have to be 21 years or older to attend because everybody's going to be extremely drunk. And there are limited tickets to this event. So you want to get them before they're gone. If you want the details, log on to KFIAM640.com, keyword mixer. Neil, what color will your beard be at this event? And Alex and I each have an idea. That's an excellent question and one that I'm sure everybody is curious about. Uh, I don't know. It depends. This uh, what's it? October is when October. Uh, the big the big event. Again, details kfiam640.com keyword mixer. I don't know. It could it could be orange for the Halloween or the fall uh, mm-hmm. time of the year. I don't know. My suggestion is black and orange, which are the KFI colors. Okay, but we'll Alex has it. another suggestion that's pretty good too. I was just thinking red for the Red Cross. Oh, excellent! I've done red before. I will tell you, I don't know that I'll do boysenberry again for Knott's Berry Farm. That's a mess. That's a mess. But you can uh, you go sign up for that. We'd love to meet you. And you can pull me and Wayne aside and ask us about dirty details uh, from being here for so long. And we'll tell you. Oh we'll whisper God. them in your ear. Now, let's talk about the new sexy carb. For carbs are back, generally. Yeah. <laughs> and the carb of the moment, pancakes. Yeah. Uh, I mean... In all forms. And I think pancakes, donuts, bread, these are things that are in every culture. There is a fried dough in every culture. There is a flat dessert dough in every culture. It's just one of those things that kind of, there. You see, there's different types and styles of pancakes. So you've got pancakes coming in two different directions. You've got traditional pancakes on the rise, no pun intended. Uh, but people are enjoying them. And then you've got the artsy-fartsy, chefy style pancakes that are coming or like the Dutch babies and things like that. that are Now, what's the, what makes a Dutch baby different than just a regular buttermilk pancake? Uh, it's Dutch. Mm-hmm. Ingredients. It's young. It's, it's a baby. Actually, a Dutch baby, the, the way that it's cooked and the way that it's prepared is much different in the amount of egg and things like that. I so. see. Uh we think maybe of the traditional like Pillsbury pancake mix, buttermilk type pancake, but there are all kinds of different. There's like buckwheat pancakes. Oh, and what are all the different grains and other things that are making up pancakes? Well, there's days? a lot of ancient grains that are on the scene right now, too. There's a lot of people that are uh, bakers that are excited about different grains that are popping up. But things like buckwheat, you've been able uh, you go to the pantry and they've had buckwheat pancakes forever. And they're darker, richer, uh, slightly more nutty uh, flavor. They're better for you uh, and things like that. And then your traditional pancake with the buttermilk, of course, has that tanginess to it because of the acid content of the buttermilk. And also they they rise really, really well because they respond, the acid responds with the sodium bicarbonate, the um, uh, baking soda. So is the trend making the pancakes out of different grains and also weird toppings yes so that this is the artsy part it's this we went through this with grilled cheese sandwiches too where it was like okay this is a grilled cheese and basically you put uh american cheese between two pieces of very doughy white bread you put butter on each side and then you toast it right although they're they're in the south sometimes grilled cheese are made um not on a griddle but in the oven Oh. There's different parts where they were, uh, where they will heat it up that way rather than on top of a grill. 
So that's your basic. Then you had people, uh, Chef uh, Eric Greenspan coming out and just blowing people's minds with putting different cheeses in there. Uh, his favorite cheese, I believe, is still Havarti in a, uh, in a grilled cheese. Wonderful. And people doing things like putting mayonnaise instead of butter on the outside to give a little tang. And then they started putting meats and proteins on the inside with the cheese proteins. And uh, just like these, this cacophony of flavor for a grilled cheese that was like the most basic thing you could ever get. And that's what's happening with pancakes now. Exactly. It's not just a pancake, butter, and syrup, and you're done. Well, there's some, there's some like uh, Mikey's Cafe. They, they have one in Pacoima and in Studio City. Uh, Ralph, the chef and owner, is a friend of mine, and I, I love what he does. He does a great buttermilk pancake, but instead of syrup, let's say he's using uh, lemon curd. Or things like that. So oh. that's a standard pancake, but with a topping that will uh, turn it up a notch. All right. Hey, listen, let's take a break. And then when we come back, I didn't realize this. Salted butter is back. Now, every time I go to the store, I see salted butter. So I didn't realize salted butter went away so that it could come back. But that's apparently what's happening. You need I'll, to explain, explain this to me. Thank you very much. Neil Saavedra, The Fork Reporter. Your program, The Fork Report. Every Saturday, uh, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Yes, sir. And you'll be back with us for Foodie Friday in a moment here. It's KFI AM640. I love romaine lettuce. Yummy, yummy romaine lettuce. I love to eat romaine lettuce. It's a very tasty lettuce. Yes, it is. KFI AM640. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill out with his sore voice. We're here with... The Fork Reporter, Neil Saavedra, every Saturday, 2 to 5 p.m., The Fork Report, wildly popular food program. And oh, also, I thank you. Were you not of, you were voted best uh, something food blogging guy, something with wow. a beard and something, right? That, you are kind. I've I've won three, count them, three Golden Foodie Awards, uh, one for best radio show and two for um, food influencer. There you go. And you're with us now. Explain this to me because I'm looking at a headline and it's not from like... Food and Wine Magazine or Munchies Mag. It's from the Washington Post, and there here's the headline. Salted butter is back. Was it gone? Don't you, like, picture salted butter walking in with sunglasses going, All right, babies, I'm back. Let's do this. What happened to salted butter in the first place? Here's the deal. It's a kind of, it's much more complicated than I would have thought originally, but this is what happens. Uh, chefs, bakers do not use salted butter. 90% of the time, they don't use salted butter because they want to control the salt. Uh, your average stick of butter has about a quarter uh, quarter teaspoon of salt. It's not that much. No, not much at all, but it's much more than you think. So uh, you, the, the whole thing is that whenever you're taught, and I've been taught this, and I teach this on the show all the time, is don't cook or bake with salted butter because... This brand might have more salt in it. This brand might have less salt in it. This you, you you don't know what you're doing. You're adding ingredients that you're not sure what they are because depending on the brand of butter. So it's always been, hey, use unsalted butter. You can add the salt as you go. That's been the norm since since I started cooking and or baking. However, they're finding that a lot of the cookbooks, there there's an interesting pattern that's gone on with butter and how it's changed 
uh, throughout the years because you earlier on you needed more salt and butter because it was to preserve it. So it wasn't only just for flavoring, it was to preserve it, right? So they found that a lot of the earlier recipe books assumed that you were going to use salted butter, but people were doing them now without salt, and, and that technically it was a much different flavor than the recipe uh, ex- expected once done. So now there's a look at this, and cooks and chefs and bakers are looking at this saying, you know what, maybe we've been doing it wrong. Maybe we've been uh, too aggressive on using unsalted butter, and we're not getting that double layer of salt and depth in the flavor of what we're making that we would if the butter was salted and we still controlled the secondary part of salt. Another part is these recipes were never modified, so they assumed you're using whatever you can get your hands on, which was salted, uh, highly salted butter because it was preservative. And now that bakers were using regular unsalted butter, they weren't compensating for the lack of salt. So there wasn't the depth in some of their, in some of the things uh, that they were making that should have been there. And they're finding, because salt is not about saltiness. It's about uh, activating it. Everything you, uh, bitter, salty, sweet is, is to activate your tongue into tasting or experiencing something a certain way. Salt isn't about making something salty. It's about enhancing the flavor around it. Salt is a flavor enhancer. It, it shouldn't change things. It should enhance them. Pepper changes things. Pepper is to change flavor. Salt is to enhance it. So uh, now they're finding some bakers were going back and trying recipes and, and, and like using salted butter because it's what they had and finding that it was making certain like laminated uh, pastries, which is like your croissant and thing like that. Uh, things like that where you're you're actually layering uh, flavor and structure with the butter and the the dough and the butter and the dough and the butter and the dough. That's why they call it laminated. And they're finding that there was more depth when they were using the salted butter. So now there's a, a shift of using salted butter again in your baking and your cooking, which has always been a no-no. Uh, so I have a question. You're saying there was a time... When basically butter, if you just said butter, it was salted butter. Yeah, it had to be. All right. So then it would make sense that recipes would be written assuming there's salt in the butter. Correct. Who was the first, not who like their name, but why did somebody go, hey, no, unsalted butter because there's too much salt if the convention was to assume salted butter? It, it has to do with the manufacturing of butter by uh, certain dairies versus people making it at home. Uh, there was a change in uh, people churning a fat and they're churning their own butter. And in that changed flavor bases, how much salt's put in, and these things split off. So it wasn't like it was just one. It, you had the, the no longer the need to preserve butter the way they used to. So less salt because it was, again, not there to flavor it. It was there to preserve it. So they back off on that, and then you've got people making their own butter, and they're not putting as much salt in. They're controlling that. So that changed tastes and flavor. It's, it wasn't like one somebody turned off the salt switch when it came it to butter. It actually butter changed. Yeah, butter changed. Saying. Wow. So and, now people are, not are like Europe. purposefully seeking out the salted butter. For Absolutely. You get some Kerryland uh, butter. What is it? Kerry, uh, what's the Kerrygold? Kerrygold. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gets, oh Irish, butter Irish butter is where it's at. Come on. Mm. I could just eat a cube of that right now. I'd like to see That's that. That's gross. I like your shirt. 
I, I like you look f- pretty in blue. I like your face. Thank you. Actually, you're wearing blue. You look pretty, too. That's Shannon Aww. Farron, by the way. I know people know that, but it seems customary to announce. Everybody knows that that's Shannon Farron. No, no, I know. And yet there's a custom that when somebody comes in, you go, oh, Shannon Farron's here. We're doing Farron's customs here. now? Yes, mm. because We're North standing South... on ceremony? Yes. Mm. North and South Korea met, and they had a lot of ceremony. So apparently ceremony is what's going to save the planet. So as the Koreans go, so do the rest of us? You got it. Got you it. think they started out with, I like your haircut. I like your haircut. Probably. Let's have switch peace. haircuts. Let's have Let's see peace. what that looks like. Shannon, what's coming up oh, on Gary and boy. Shannon? I can't get enough of this Golden State Killer case. We're learning more about the double life he was leading, raping and killing men and, and women. Um, and uh, while at home, being a dad to three daughters. How the hell does that work? And then a, and then a grandpa. Well, we are... On the track, uh, Michelle McNamara is the woman, Patton Oswalt's late wife, um, who was obsessed with the case. She wasn't the only one. There's a whole community of true crime people, researchers, amateur researchers who took up this case. We're going to be talking to one of those people who spent seven years researching uh, this case. We're going to be talking to him coming up. Also, the Sacramento County Sheriff is going to join us. Tons of new information uh, on this suspect. And also, uh, he the suspect will be arraigned, is scheduled to be arraigned during your show. Yeah, at about 1.30. Chris Carlo is up there, so uh, we'll hope to hook up with him. going to be good times. All right, very good. I'll get out of the way here. And uh, Gary and Shannon coming up next. Thank you, Neil. Thank it's you. KFI AM 640. It looks like Monica Ricks has news. Julie. Julie, I'm sorry. There's a lot of glare. I can't see. <laughs> what a way to end a show. <laughs> hit the sounder on that high note. That's so good with those customs. Dude, hit the sounder. KFI. And KOST HD2. Los Angeles.